Welcome to the Exchange Church Podcast. For more information on the Exchange Church, go to IamTheExchange.com. Have you ever listened to a song and thought to yourself, man, that would preach? We did too. The following series is entitled Bible in the Billboards. Today's message is by our lead pastor, Jared Brooks. So, are you excited this morning? I'm excited. Man, worship was powerful, wasn't it? I mean, my watch buzzed halfway through worship and told me that I had exceeded my activity workout for today. So that either tells you I was playing massive hard on the drums or my workout expectations are way too low. (laughs) Either way, I'm good. So I'm sleeping the rest of the day when we get done with church. It's going to be awesome. All right, so this morning we're starting a brand new series. Some of you may have saw our little teaser video we put out on uh, Facebook. It's called Bible in the Billboards, okay? Now, last year when we were kind of starting to plant the church, I wanted to do a series that was kind of fun, and I I got people to start giving me song ideas. And people, man, I got literally probably 80, 90 song ideas. And I had a series called uh, The Sound of Music, and I would preach like... Right after Easter, I talked about this Easter message and how awesome the Easter message is. And, and if we really believed the message, we would turn down for what? And I'd just start bumping turn down for what? And that was my song. And so every week over the next four, five, six weeks, uh, we're going to have a song that you, you listen to those songs and then you hear a song and there's a line or two in the song and you're like, man, I'd preach a message on that. That'll preach. Are you watching a movie? Like you're watching a movie and it's like rated R, cussing and all this. And then you see that one line and you're like, dude, that'll preach. <laughs> and then you try to show people. You're like, no, this movie, man, spoke to me. And you play it back and then all the cussing. You're like, uh. You ever done that? That's me. I've never done that either. But, but for all you heathens out there, y'all have done that. But uh, so this week we're going to start a message called Bible in the Billboards. So in the middle of my message, I will introduce a song that kind of fits with the theme of where I'm going. So I challenge you to listen, take notes, and see if you can figure out the song before I even get there, okay? Uh, So that's my challenge to you. Last year, I did uh, Everything I Do, I Do It For You by Brian Adams. I sang it, too. I did. It's more than a feeling, talking about the Holy Spirit. So this, this, this uh, session, I asked Pastor Kevin to come up with a few songs. He's ready to preach. Pastor Ruben's got a song he's ready to preach. And so let's see if you can figure out the song before I get there. But the title of my message this morning is Saved Soul, Wasted Life. Okay? Saved Soul, Wasted Life. I want to get in your minds that there's nothing that you can do, there's nothing that I can do to change the Bible declared fact that no matter where you're from, who you are, what you've done, that God is radically, come on, everybody say radically. He is radically in love with you. Do you believe that? I mean, God is radically, you can go off today and you can go to school and you can study and you can come up with the cure to AIDS. You can come up with a cure to cancer. You can come up with a cure to feed world hunger. And let me tell you something. God will not love you anymore. Do you know that? Some of you are looking at me like you just don't believe that. You could go out today and you could bomb planet Earth. And you could kill half the population of planet Earth. And God could not 
and would not love you any less than he does right now. Isn't that crazy? And I, and I didn't get a lot of amens. I didn't expect a lot of amens. I wrote in my notes, nobody's going to amen. So I didn't expect it because I know that we don't really believe that. We believe that God's love for us is based on what we do or don't do. Or how good we are, or how bad we, or how much sin we stay away from, and how, how good people we surround ourselves with. God's love for you has nothing to do with that. If you are successful in life, it has nothing to do with God's love. If you fell in life, it has nothing to do with God's love. Do you believe that? See, I, I got like eight of you. I'm starting to convince some of you. By the end of this, I'm hoping I'm convincing you that it doesn't matter. You could leave church today, hate my guts, never step foot into another church the rest of your life, and God never, never, never will put his head down and go, I just don't love him like I used to. Yeah, that's right. yeah, come on, that's Do you believe that? Yeah. Come on, will you stand with me this morning? I'm going to prove it with a couple of verses. So we're going to flip through a few verses. If you want to stay with me, if you have your Bible, we're going to kind of flip a few times. If you're taking notes, just write these down. We'll show it up on the Sky Bible. But John 3, 16. Come on, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he what? Amen. That he what? Amen. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Then if you go into Romans chapter 5 verse 8 it says but God demonstrates his own love for us in this that while we were still what yeah. what the God while you're in the middle of your junk while you're in the middle of your whatever whatever your big sin is while you were in the middle of your sin Christ died for us that's how he demonstrates his love for us Jeremiah 31 Three says, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you, uh, drawn you with unfailing kindness. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. Father, we pray right now. God, I pray that we get this concept in our mind, Lord. It's, it's unfathomable. It's uncomprehendable, God. It's, it's so hard for us to focus and understand on how you can love us, God, based on what we, not based on what we do or don't do, God, but you just love us radically just because. And so we thank you for that, God. And I pray that this, mor this morning you radically change someone's perspective perception of how you see them Jesus we thank you for that in your name we pray and everybody said amen yes. amen you may be seated look at your neighbor and says he loves you I want you to wrap your faith around this truth okay God's loving you has absolutely nothing to do with your success or your failures in life okay God's loving you has nothing to do with that if you, if you don't understand this principle, you're destined for a life of heartache, a life of frustration, and a thousand missed divine appointments and opportunities if we never get the fact that God loves us and that his radical love is unchanging. So let me tell you a few things that are possible. It is possible to know that God loves you every day of your life but still miss his perfect will. I'll let that marinate for a second. We're just going to soak in it, okay? You can know that God loves you, 
with all your heart. You can know that and still not be in the perfect will of God. It is possible to feel embraced in the love of God and still fail in every major relationship in your own life. Did you know that? It is possible to understand that God loves you and you still not be able to pay your bills. It is possible to know that God loves you and you could be in poor health and die prematurely. Did you know that if God loves you, all those things can still happen? God's love is not determined on what does or doesn't happen in or around your life. Amen? God's desire is not for failure and and pain. A thousand times that's wrong. Okay? God's love never, never contradicts God's law. Okay? God's love never contradicts God's law. There's unchanging laws of God that are among some of the most ignored truths in the Bible. And I want to show you one of them right here. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6. It says this. My people are destroyed for their lack of what? Knowledge. Okay? So there's three, there's three principles in this verse that I want to point out real quick to you. Number one, God declared that he had his own people. Okay, so he says, my people. So God's declaring, I have my own people. Number two, God is saying, it is possible to be a child of God on your way to heaven and still be destroyed in this life. Okay, that is possible. Number three, God's people were not destroyed because they felt unloved by God, but because of their ignorance of his instruction. Okay, those are three takeaways you can get from that verse that says, my people are destroyed for their lack of knowledge. Proverbs 4, verse number 7. And this is a really fun verse. I wish that if I could rewrite the Bible, I would, I would change this verse a little bit. But it says this, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And I would stop the verse. That'd be the end of the verse right there. If I wrote this, I would take out the rest. But it's... Though it cost all you have, get understanding, okay? The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, get it. That should be our goal is to understand, have wisdom, understanding, have knowledge of the word of God. That's why we should study the word of God. That's why we should read the word of God. That's why you should have communication with other believers and just talk about the word of God. That's why you should go to a connect group, to a small group. I snuck that one in there. You never saw it coming. Have you ever heard a Christian give advice like this? I love this. Hey, just pray and love God and everything's going to be okay. You know, when somebody's going through a really tough time, I really, t- and this is one of my pet peeves, okay? I did some, some counseling classes for my degree and in these counseling classes, it, you know, you go through like, how to deal with grief counseling, how to talk to people and stuff like that. The worst thing you say to somebody who's just gone through a loss is, I understand what you're feeling or, or I know you're hurting or, it, or, or uh, time will heal, you know. <laughs> Don't say that because they'll punch you. And they should. They should punch you. Um, but, but the point is, is a lot of times we as Christians, we go to this default lie, okay? You just love God. And, and just pray, love God, everything's going to be great. Really? 
In the meantime, Christians are having their homes repossessed. People, Christians are filing for bankruptcy. Christians are getting divorced. Christians are getting ripped off. Christians are getting robbed. Christians have plans that don't succeed. The fact that God loves them has zero to do with that. Okay? Are you getting what I'm saying here this morning? God's love for you has zero to do with the successes and failures in our life. Then there are Christians who come from obscurity and they sweep the world with the gospel and they have success all throughout their lives. Their jobs, their marriages, their homes. They live in divine order, but God's love never guaranteed their success in any of those. God's love does not determine your successes and your failures. You cannot change the love of God for you. God has put into place this universal, non-optional, unchanging law. And your response to his obedience to the unchanging laws is what determines your success and failures in life. Okay, Your obedience to those laws. Let me give you a good example. Imagine you're laying in bed at night and a cloud comes into your room. And you're wide awake. You're not dreaming. You're wide awake. And all of a sudden, you hear the voice of God speak to you from this cloud, Jose. He starts speaking to you, and he says, Jose, Jose, my child. However he talks, maybe in a Spanish accent. Jose, listen. Que paso, amigo? Listen, I want to tell you something, vato. Okay, so, but I don't know how he speaks to you, but, Okay. He speaks to me in different ways. Sometimes we like gangsta thugs, whatever. I don't know. He's my friend. But just imagine God comes to you in a cloud, right? He's in this cloud, and he speaks to Jose, and he says, Jose, I have called you. I have anointed you. You are going to, to reach 15 times more Christians than all the other Christians on planet Earth combined. You're going to stand in front of kings and, and presidents You're going to be on TV and radio. You're going to have so much power and influence. People are going to look to you. My anointing is on you. So go and be anointed and reach the world. Jose goes, wow. All of a sudden, poof, the cloud disappears. Jose's like, this is it. This is it. He he gets on a plane and he flies straight to New York. He climbs to the Empire State Building, climbs to the very top. And he stands up and he says, I... I'm anointed of God. I'm going to reach. God told me I'm going to reach 15 times more people than everybody else. He's put his anointing on me. I'm going to stand in front of kings and queens and presidents. I'm going to be on TV and radio. Thank you, God. And he jumps off the Empire State Building and he thanks God for this powerful new anointing. In 60 seconds or less, he's going to be dead. Right? Right? Because God also has a law that he put in place. It's called gravity. And God's love for Jose does not supersede the law he put in place. It's called gravity. And gravity is going to win in that moment because Jose ignored that law that was already there. So it doesn't matter how much God loves Jose. God has laws that he expects us to kind of follow. Okay, They're kind of rules of the game that it's just obvious we should follow. Now, imagine you're uh, this 4,500-pound 40, 40, man. It's a little extreme, isn't it? So let's go 450, okay? <laughs> so you got this. <laughs> I said 4,500, and nobody made a response. You are just looking at me. 
It's like, <laughs> y'all have seen it, huh? <laughs> At the circus or whatever, the guy they roll in in the 18-wheeler. So you got this 450-pound guy, and he eats chips and candy all day, drinks Dr. Pepper and all this stuff, a lot like my diet. Uh, and, but, but he smokes four packs of cigarettes a day. He never gets up out of his chair. He just lays there all day. And then he dies at the age of 31 of a heart attack. Somebody is going to probably stand over his casket, and they're going to say, you know, when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. Right? As if God had anything to do with this man's time to go. Okay? It was his breaking the law of a healthy diet, healthy living that caused that man. Not even Satan himself could be blamed for that ignorance. Right? Right? So there's just these laws that we have to live for. There's these truths that we have to live for. And your success in your home, in your marriages, and in your finances, and the call of God on your lives is not guaranteed just because He loves you. Okay? There are things that we have to do. There are guidelines that we have to follow. There's this unnamed guy in the Bible. Some of you have heard of him. Uh, he's referred to a lot uh, as the thief on the cross. Okay, that's how a lot of us know him. We know that that's kind of like the name that follows him. He's the thief on the cross. He was one of two men that were crucified on either side of Jesus. And in the last minutes on earth, planet earth, he humbly asked Christ, he says, will you remember me when you go to your kingdom, when you come into your kingdom? Wow. There's been a lot of sermons preached on this man's brokenness and his humility and his dying moments. But what's commonly overlooked is his attitude towards Jesus the six hours that they were hanging on the cross together. Matthew chapter number 27 verse 38. We're going to look at this for a second. It says, two rebels were crucified with him. One on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and the elders, they mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and, and then we'll believe him. He trusts in God. Let him rescue, let God rescue him now if he wants, wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Now here's the, here's the part I want you to catch. Verse 44. In the same way, the rebels, everybody say rebels, who were crucified with him also heaped insults upon him. Okay? So for a moment, I just want you to get this in your head. That there are two thieves on either side of, of Jesus. And this verse is telling us that everyone, for a while, insulted Jesus, including the two rebels, the one on his left, the one on his right. So the thief on the cross, there was a point as he's hanging there next to Jesus that he too is hurling insults at the Son of God. Okay? So think about this. The Bible uh, records deaths of literally millions of people. I was trying to find a more accurate number. and I mean, it's just, it's way up there. The amount of deaths 
that are recorded in the Bible. From infants to the aged, from rich to poor, slave to free, king to soldier, prophets to paupers, male, female. The Bible gives graphic detail on a lot of deaths in the Bible, okay? But of all the recorded deaths in Scripture, the thief on the cross is the only recorded death of an individual who got right with God on his deathbed, okay? So think about that. On his deathbed, right before he dies, he makes it right with God. Praise God, right? Isn't that awesome? That, I mean, that should make us pretty excited because we understand what an awesome testimony. What amazing grace that God had on this guy that right before he dies, God allows him to come into the kingdom. I mean, literally hours before this hardened thief, he's mocking the very son of God. And then all of a sudden, right before he dies, after spending six hours in the presence of Jesus, he had rapid mind renewal, okay? Radical changing of his thoughts. And all of a sudden, at the end of his life, after hanging there, after putting down and mocking the, the Son of God, all of a sudden, he begins to have a change of heart. And he begins to recognize so much so that he came to a place of repentance, he came to a place of repentance. Luke 23, starting with verse 39, says, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Then save yourself and save us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We're punished justly for what we're getting, what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Notice the thief on the cross, he didn't say, Jesus, forgive me. I want to be saved. Save me. Jesus, I know I made a lot of mistakes and, and everybody else is mocking you and cussing you. I, and I was, but please forgive me. Jesus, please don't, don't let me go to hell. Jesus, please don't, don't let me die. Just save me, please. He didn't say any of that. He said, Lord, we're about to go our, our separate ways. This is, this is basically what he's saying. I'm paraphrasing here. Said, Lord, we're about to go our separate ways. And, and when we do, will you just remember me? What a humble prayer. He's saying, God, I, I don't want to go to hell and be forgotten, Lord. Jesus, I, I, I don't want to die, and I know I'm on the cross, and I know I'm getting what I deserve, and I know that I even mocked the Son of God, and I know that, that my life is just damned, and it's over right now. But, but when I die, God, just from time to time, when you go wherever it is that you're going, will you just from time to time, will you just remember me? Just think of me. Just think of me. I accept my punishment. I just don't want to be forgotten. What a powerful statement. Jesus, the wonderful savior that he is he saw jesus didn't care the life that this guy lived he didn't care about his past and his history or or what his family history was he didn't care who his dad was or who his mom was he didn't ask him he didn't look up there and say well tell me why why are you on the cross what did you do that was so bad he never asked him that he didn't say you know what i want you to repeat this prayer after me close your eyes I want you to recognize that I am the great I am. He didn't say any of that. Jesus didn't look at him and say, you know what? Too late. Too little. Too late. 
So sad. Sorry about you. I'll think about you when you're burning in hell. Right? Because that's what some of us would have said. Uh-huh. Because we don't forgive like Jesus. We don't, we don't forget like Jesus. Jesus is standing next to this man, and this guy just says, remember me. And Jesus looks at him, and he says, you know what? Today, this day, you will be with me in paradise. Man, that's awesome. The thief is a reminder to those of us who've been praying for a lost loved one that just have lost hope to keep praying and praying and praying because you never know. You never know. You never give up because last minute salvation is a real thing. Did you know that? Last minute salvation is a real thing. A person receiving forgiveness of their sins and receiving Christ's gift of eternal life in the last moment of their life, it can happen. And I believe that. I, I preached a message to uh, our college group years ago. And I described the life of, uh, I can't ever think of that guy's name. Uh, he was a serial killer in the 70s. Uh, Bundy, Ted Bundy. And uh, this guy, I won't go into graphic detail, but, I mean, he, he would kill ladies and then go back and visit their corpse months later and do ungodly things with them. After they'd been dead for six months, recorded up to six months, he would bury some of these girls in the mountain and then think about them and go, oh, that, that little blonde girl that I, that I got on this campus. And he would dig her up and he'd have relations with them. Warped guy. And he goes to prison, and in prison they do documentaries about him. And I have a video on him. And he talks about his home life. He was warped from early childhood. He, obviously, he was warped. But at the end of his life, a, a, a famous minister, evangelist, went to the prison. The only guy that Ted Bundy would ever listen to and, and talk to, and they did an interview. And as they're talking, Ted began to show remorse and and he, this guy, Dr. James Dobson, was asking him, do you regret, you know? What? And he says, I do. He says, but, you know, there's nothing I can do to change it. It's done. But, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a messed up. I'm warped. And, and they just talked and talked and talked. And Dr. James Dobson began to introduce him to this possibility of uh, grace by this God. And... And Ted Bundy was just blown away, and he was like, no. So as I'm preaching this message to these college students, I gave them some pretty graphic details about his life. And I got them all hating this guy. And then at the very end, I said, now, can you imagine that he's in heaven right now? And nobody can fathom that. Nobody. And all I know is that, that Dr. James Dobson was able to pray, and Ted Bundy repented, and he said, I'm sorry for everything I've done. And he asked God to forgive him. Now, I'm, telling, I'm, not, I'm not sending this guy into heaven. I'm not saying that he's whatever. That's none of my business. But I know that God's grace is so crazy, so crazy, that, that his love for you and that it, the grace that he applies to your life is not based on works. It is, there's nothing that you can do to earn or disqualify yourself from God's grace. Okay? There's nothing, nothing that we can do to earn or, or qualify ourselves. God's love is just that big. And we cannot comprehend that we live a good, pretty good life. You know, I've never killed anybody. I mean, I've stole some stuff before in my past. But, I mean, 
That's about it. I hit some deer. I killed deer in my car a lot when I was younger. On accident, I wasn't going after them, but they always found my car all the time. But that's about as bad as I am. And, and to think that me and Ted might have a house next to each other, sometimes that's hard for us to comprehend. Because we want to think that I've earned heaven. I've earned God's grace and God's love in my life. And I haven't. His grace was a free gift that I did nothing to deserve. The thief on the cross had a saved soul, but a wasted life. Okay? A saved soul. Wait a minute. Think about that. A saved soul, but wasted life. It's like a traffic jam when you're already late. You know what I'm talking about? Or a no smoking sign on your cigarette break. Or 10,000 spoons when all you needed was a knife. Or it's like meeting the man of your dreams and then meeting his beautiful wife. Isn't that ironic? Don't you think? A little too ironic. Yeah, I really do think. It's like rain. Come on, everybody. Oh, yeah. Some of you feeling it. Some of you back in high school right now. Tight road jeans. <laughs> right? Isn't that ironic? Some of you just went back in time. You got your parachute pants on. Your jean jacket. <laughs> My parents used to drop me off from school, and they would say, don't tight roll your jeans. That looks tacky. And I was like, okay. And they would drive off, and I'd tight roll my pants. I'd walk in thinking I was vanilla ice <laughs> because I knew every word. Still do. Still do. I killed it at y'all's reception dinner. Killed it on karaoke. <laughs> Saved soul, wasted life. That's ironic. What an unspeakable tragedy. The thief on the cross, he couldn't jump off the cross and then live for Christ, you know? There's this moment Jesus looks at him and says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. The thief couldn't jump down and go, you know what? I'm going to live for you the rest of my minutes you know, it was over he could never reconcile with his parents he could never go and repent to his wife and kids he could never repay anything that he stole he could never read his bible and pray he would never know the joy of serving the lord he would never know what it's like to give or serve the body of christ and fellowship with other believers he would never be able to see someone healed because he prayed over their life he would never be able to pray for someone and watch them accept jesus christ as their own personal savior all that was gone Saved soul, wasted life. It was over. He made it, right? He made it. But his life amounted to what? To what? It was a sad life. It was a wasted life. It was a lost life. He made it, but that's not what salvation's about. And you believe that? I mean, when you ask a lot of people, what, what's the point of salvation? Salvation, man, it's to guarantee eternity into heaven. It's to guarantee eternity with, with, with Jesus Christ. That's not what salvation is just about. 
If it was, then what I would do this morning is I would say, you know what? If you have sin in your life, if you have sin in your life and you need Jesus to come into your life and, and ask forgiveness of your sins, come up here. And I would line everybody up and I would say, repeat this prayer after me. Father, I'm a sinner. And everybody would say it. And I need you and I need you. And I ask you in my life. And everybody would say it. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Boom, 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 boom. I kill everybody. Right? If that's the point, because what's best is I go ahead and take them out. I get them saved, guarantee their salvation into heaven, let's just take them out, right? That makes sense. If that's what salvation's all about, then what's the point of living after that? Let's just make it to heaven. Let's all get saved and then die. <laughs> Pretty dumb, isn't it? That doesn't make any sense. There's more to salvation. You were saved and you were picked because he needed you. He wanted you. He wanted to have fellowship with you. He wanted to have a relationship with you. And then he was hoping that you would love your relationship with him so much that you would tell somebody else about that relationship so that they could join into this awesome relationship with him. Isn't that what Christ is about? When, when you like something, don't you share it? I mean, if, if you go to a restaurant and you really loved it, don't you talk about it? You put it on Facebook and you're like, hey, guys, you need to check out this new place. Man, I love it. It's awesome. If you go to a, a new hair salon or, or like Shelly's been working out at, at a gym, Loganitis Training. She loves it. She loves this guy, the way he trains. He's awesome. She talks about it, okay? And, and her talking about it, she's posted about it. And since she's posted about it, people have asked her about it. And since people have asked her about it, more people are now going to this gym because people are interested because because she talks about it. When you like something, don't you share that? Yeah. Right? We share that. It'd be, it'd be like having just unlimited amounts of money and never helping anyone out. Yeah. Never giving to anyone. Isn't that ironic? If you look into uh, the Old Testament, you see a man named Lot. Okay? Lot also had a saved soul, wasted life. This is my opinion. Lot is never mentioned in the Hall of Fame of Faith. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, it doesn't talk about Lot and this powerful man of faith. Um, the only real thing that we know about Lot is that he was kind of a weak Christian. Right? You don't hear a lot of pastors preach on Lot being a, a powerful Christian. This powerful man. You hear people talk about how Lot, you know, he tried to get his family out and, and all that. But... Lot never did anything for his family. He never reached anybody. He never changed anybody's life. Jude 20, 22 and 23 says, Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Do to others show mercy. Okay? As believers, that's kind of our, our plan, is that we share things, that we show mercy to people who, who doubt that we're merciful to them, that we don't cram things down their throat, but we love, and we love unconditionally. But Lot never did anything great. Lot was kind of a, he, he was that guy that every generation, well, you have to do something, you have to reach people. And Lot never did anything in his generation, never did anything in his family. Lot was this sort of person, it's kind of what America's become today. Never really stand up, never really do anything. It's none of my business. You know, you see things on TV and you see the world in chaos and you see the world kind of crumbling on social media and different things and we just stay out of it. Ain't none of my business, you know. It's, everything's falling apart. And we never do anything. That was kind of Lot. That was Lot's attitude, okay. Lot had a saved soul and a wasted life. 
Um, if you look in Genesis chapter 13, 14, I'm just going to share this for a second and kind of paint you a picture. Lot had a brother. His name was Abram. Abram prays, and God says, I want you to go to the land of Canaan. So Abram goes, and he moves to the land of Canaan, and he fulfills God's plan for his life. Lot never prayed. He never sought God. But what he did was he knew that Sodom, the city of Sodom, was in, it was an evil city, okay, full of sin, full of sin. And so here's what Lot does. Lot starts noticing Sodom, okay, this evil city full of sin. He notices Sodom. And so he starts watching Sodom. And then the Bible says he started getting closer and closer and closer. And then eventually he, pinched, he pitched a tent. I almost said that video. He, he pitched a tent and the Bible says he faced it towards Sodom so that he could see what was happening in Sodom. There's nothing good happening in Sodom, okay? It's just an evil city. And then the Bible says he took his tent up and he moved to Sodom. Okay, so he first, he, he watches Sodom from a distance, then he puts a tent up towards Sodom, and then he moves to Sodom, and then he meets a lady in Sodom, and he marries a Sodomite. <coughs> then he has kids. His kids are born in Sodom, raised in Sodom. So never, never did he do anything. He loved God. This whole entire time, he had a relationship with God, but he just kept getting further and further into that lifestyle. And then when, when God's trying to destroy Sodom, the Bible says that two angels came into Lot's house and, and the people of the city, young and old, all these men gathered around. They surrounded, everybody in the city surrounded Lot's house. And they're yelling at Lot and they said, send those men out so that we can have sex with them. That's what they told to Lot. That's how evil and, and ugly this city was. And here's Lot's response. No, but I'll send my virgin daughters. You can have them. And then Lot goes to his son-in-laws. He's like, hey, I think God's fixing to destroy the city. You want to go with us? His son-in-laws think he's joking. They're like, no, we're going to stay. Okay, no problem. So Lot leaves, leaves the city. God ends up destroying the city. That's what we know about Lot. He never, you never, there's not one message that he ever preached, not one time that he ever shared anything. When I think about Samson, I think about the same thing. Saved soul, wasted life. Samson took a lion, fought it, ripped it into two. He took a donkey jawbone, fought a thousand Philistines and sent thousands more running to the hills. He's in the city of Gaza one time and they trap him. They shut the doors and lock him in the city. So they're like now we've got him. We've got all of our soldiers our army here. Now he's trapped so we're going to destroy him. We're going to kill Samson. Finally we're going to kill him. So you know what Samson does? He goes over to the city wall to the gate which took anywhere from a half dozen to a dozen men to shut the city gate. He took the gate grabbed it shook held 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 snapped the gate off the city and then to rub it in their face he didn't take the gate snap it off and then walk out he took the gate snapped it off carried it up a hill 28 miles and then gate drop poof gate drop i'm out mamba out Samson was a bad dude, but Samson from his birth, God himself declared Samson was going to be this incredible person. But when you think about Samson, you think about this incredible man of strength, right? You don't think about Samson the great man. You think about Samson, this incredible man of strength. 
God sent an angel to Samson. He, he was a son of barren children, and he was called the deliverer of the Israelites. His mission, the angel came to his parents, and they said, you're going to have a son, and he is going to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. That's his mission. Before he was born, he was called with a purpose. They said the only thing is he has to live as a Nazarite. Okay? That means he can't touch anything unclean. He, he can't uh, uh, cut his hair. They gave him three rules. He broke all three rules. He's a great man of strength. But he never fulfilled the purpose that, that was put on his life from the very beginning. That he would deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. So when I look at Samson, I see this saved soul, wasted life. The goal for our life shouldn't be to just make it to heaven. Our goal as people and relationships with God should be to do everything in our, in our hearts and everything within our wheel to make sure that people around us understand that God loves them that we share everything that we have and everything that God's done for us with other people do you believe that that God forgiving you and loving you unconditionally don't you believe that that's amazing amen do you believe that do you believe that having him lead and guide you in every big decision in your life don't you believe that's awesome isn't that crazy that we have access to this God who will guide us through big decisions? Isn't it crazy that he can help step into any situation and get us out? He can even heal us if we need healing. Isn't that incredible? And if we really believed all of that, why would we hold that from anybody? Why would we not share that with everybody that we come in contact with? One of my favorite stories that I heard years and years ago in a book that I read was about this lady and I've shared this I know before there's a lady an old lady and a Mormon came to her house and I love it when the Mormons and Jehovah's Witness come to my house it's a lot of fun because uh, they're they're fun and man I love the, I love their will you know I I don't hate them I don't open the door and go you're gonna go to hell I open the door and I take whatever they give me and, uh, and I burn it. No, I'm just kidding. I don't. I, I take what they give me and I listen to them and we talk and then I ask them some questions. They ask me some questions. We end up sitting in the back of my tailgate of my truck. One of them, I was playing basketball with Chubbs and them one time last year or something and they came up and I stepped away and I talked to these guys for a long time and before they left, we held hands. We all prayed together. So I love having these conversations with them but this Mormon comes up to this lady's house and he's having a conversation with her. And he starts telling her and he pulls out the Mormon Bible, the Book of the Mormon. And he offers it to her. She says, ah, not touching that thing. That is the devil. And he's like, this is, this is a, it goes along. We believe in the, the Bible. We believe in the Bible. We, we love the Bible. We teach the Bible. But this, and he pulls out his book, this is a, the, the rest of the story, okay? This is what you need. This tells the, kind of fills in some gaps. She says, I don't need anything. My Bible is the whole Bible. And I believe it is inspired by God and it's infallible. It's without error. 
He says, yes, ma'am, but this, this book will help you. And she's like, no, no, no. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? And he says, yes, we believe in Jesus. We believe that Jesus was a prophet and that he did miracles. And we believe that Jesus was a son of God. She's like, why do too? And they said, we don't believe that he was God. Based in Matthew, I mean, in uh, Matthew, I think it's, I can't remember where it is. But it says that Jesus, he makes a statement. He says, in God, who is greater than I am. She says, oh, Jesus is God. He is part of the Trinity, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. And it is by the blood of Jesus Christ that I have been saved. And, and this guy says, so you believe that you're saved through the blood of Jesus Christ? I believe I'm saved. And she's just getting furious. And she says, I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ and his amazing grace, I am saved by faith through the grace and through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I believe that. And his, his grace has come into my life and forgiven me of my sins. And he can forgive everybody of your sins. And he can forgive you of your sins. And you're lost and you're manipulated and you're warped and you're twisted. And these two guys just stood there and they said, yes, ma'am, but you don't honestly believe that. She said, I do believe that. He said, no, ma'am, you don't honestly believe that. She said, I do. And he says, you believe honestly that Jesus can save, that God can save everybody. And she says, yes, I do. And he says, the drug addict, the sinner, the prostitute. Yes, I do believe. And, and you believe that you just say a prayer or whatever. And you're saved by this amazing. Yes, I believe. And she's just, she's just mad, furious. And he says, ma'am, I don't believe you believe that because if that was true, you would be knocking on my door instead of me knocking on your door. See, if we really, really believed the thief on the cross, he didn't have an opportunity that we have. He had a saved soul. Man, thank God. I'm so glad that God saved him. I'm not one of these guys like, well, he didn't deserve it. He should have gotten help. I'm so glad that he got saved. I'm so glad that, that he's in heaven. And I believe that with all my heart. But he never had an opportunity to tell anybody else about that, that awesome story. About how he didn't deserve forgiveness and this guy gave it to him. That sounds familiar. It sounds like uh, everyone in this room. Right? Because I promise you this, I'm not a, like a psychic or anything like that, but you didn't deserve his grace. You did not earn his forgiveness. You don't deserve it. In fact, we all really deserve justice and, and judgment, okay? That's what we deserve. But he took all that for us. And he just gave us this amazing grace I don't want a saved soul and a wasted life. I don't live today to make it to heaven. Okay? I don't, I don't sit around right now and go, man, heaven's going to be great. I can't wait to get to heaven. That is going to be awesome. But what I do think about is, man, who can I reach? Who, who can we reach? Who can we touch? Who can we love? Who can we, we pull out? Who can we show this redemptive power of Jesus Christ? Some of us, if we're not careful, we're going to go through life and be like Samson, be like Lot. Nothing's really ever going to, we're going to make it to heaven because that's how awesome God's grace is. It's that cool. But when it comes to our life, have we done anything? Have we made an impact? Have we shown anybody what we have? That's scary to me. That's scary to me that I would miss that.
Amen. Will you, will you stand with me for a moment? We're, we're going to pray. And as we pray, I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you to pray and ask God to put three people on your heart. And maybe more, whatever you want. But ask him to put some people on your heart. Probably a lot of you right now immediately. As soon as I start talking about it, you, it's already, you already know who it is. But who, who can you, I'm not talking about inviting to church, get to come to church. Because not, that's not what it's about. I'm talking about who can you befriend that through your relationship with them, they can begin to see Jesus Christ. You may be the only Jesus that some people will ever see. So, so we're going to pray. And as we pray, I want you to just say, God, who is it? Who is it that I can just really begin to build a relationship with so that I can impact, so that I can make a difference, so that I can influence, so that I can lift up and never tear down, so that I can help bring healing and, and restoration and love and forgiveness? So I want you to think about that as we pray right now. Jesus, I ask uh, that this morning we all take on this mantle of, of proclaiming you as Lord, that you are the Son of God, that, that you came to this earth and you died for us and you gave us life. And I believe that you're, you're not just the Son of God, but I, I believe, Jesus, that you are Lord and that you reign supreme, God. And so I ask this morning that you give us strength, Lord, that, that we don't just live this life so that we can make it to the other side, so that we can live through eternity, God, Lord, but that we, we live our life to, to fulfill your call, your purpose that you gave us. God, to, to show others the way, to show others who you are, to, to, to see marriages restored, to see eyes open, God, deaf ears open, God. Lord, so I pray that, that right now you put people on our hearts, people that we need to come in contact with, people that we need to have a relationship with, people that, that we've been feeling for a while that we needed to say something and we just never had the guts. And I pray right now, Lord, that you begin to stir inside of us a strength and a passion, Lord, that we'll stand up and we'll say, you know what, I need to talk to you. Lord, so that we can make a move for people. So right now, Jesus, I pray that you put these people on our heart, God. And, and Lord, give us opportunities. Give us opportunities. And in those opportunities, I ask, I ask the Holy Spirit that he would just begin to speak through us. That you would guide our conversations. That you would, you, would, you would bring scriptures back to our memory that maybe we didn't even know we had memorized, God. That you would put them back in our heart so that we can begin to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray for opportunities, God. We pray that doors will be open. We pray that this church be a light like no other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you believe that? So our mission today is to make sure that we're not just a saved soul and a wasted life, but that we live every day to its fullest. Amen? Amen. Come on. Give God a hand clap of praise this morning. You may be seated.
Thank you for listening to the Exchange Church Podcast. Follow us on our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for the Exchange Church Houston. If you would like to give to the Exchange Church, you can go to our website at IamTheExchange.com and look for the red button in the top right corner labeled Give Online. <laughs>